We are in John chapter 7. We'll begin reading in verse 40. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. There's a lot of talk today in church circles and in the church world about being the incarnational Christ to the world. And by that they mean that we need to go into our world and do what Jesus did. I think there's a danger in using that word incarnational. I think there was only one who was truly incarnational and that was Jesus. God becoming man. But I do understand what they mean, that we need to go out into our world and not just talk about things, but to be Christ to our world. And there's, there's much truth in that. What would Jesus do is not a bad thing to ask yourself often. But as I looked at this text both last week and this week, in fact stayed in this text this week, partly because I think there's an even more important question you need to settle because you will not do very well doing what Jesus did if you don't really know what Jesus said. I think it's more important to begin with what did Jesus say and particularly what did Jesus say about himself. Last week we talked about that. And I almost moved on from this text to, other, to go on into the Gospels farther. But decided, no, I want to stop. Partly because of what I will talk about toward the end of what I'm going to say this morning. Some uncomfortableness that arose in me that, that, that I didn't tell enough. And so we want to go a little farther. But one of the things that we see about what Jesus said and how it affected people is in verse 46 of the text this morning. Look at what it says. There were some officials or officers who went at the beckoning of the Pharisees to go and to, to get to Jesus and to arrest him. And they come back to the Pharisees in verse 46. And this is what they say. They didn't really give an excuse why they didn't do what they were sent to do. All they could say was, no one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like this man. Now what did they mean by that? What things were they hearing Jesus speak? 
Why were they so taken by what he said? I want to, I want to just tell you what he said a little bit. I want, to, I want to look at what I think they were talking about, some of the texts that they were talking about. Not all of them, but some of them. First of all, look at chapter 6 and verse 35 if you have your Bibles open. Just listen to what Jesus said. These are the kind of words that they were hearing that so enamored them. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then down a bit farther it says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. And then if you go back to chapter 4 of John and look at verse 14, it says this. This is Jesus again speaking. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then last week we looked at this text. Jesus said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then also last week we looked at this statement that Jesus made. In chapter 7, down about verse 28, you see the words of Jesus there. He said this, You know me, and he's speaking to the Pharisees, speaking to the religious leaders. You know me, and you know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. Looking right into the eyes of the religious leaders of the day and saying, You don't know God the Father. You think you do, but you don't. Those are the kinds of things that Jesus said. Listen to some others. John 5, verse 23. And whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Goes on to say, I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you did not receive me. John chapter 6 and verse 45. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. John chapter 8, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. And then in John 8, if God were your Father, you would love me. Jesus. Those are, those are strong statements. Those are the kinds of things that these, these who went to arrest him come back and say, no one ever spoke like this. No one ever spoke like this. And I say to you, you need to know that about Jesus. You need to know that. You need to know what Jesus said. He didn't say this, but he could have said it. Listen, listen to this. Now, this is, a, this is someone else's words, but Jesus could have spoken. If you want to help somebody discern, and, and imagine if Jesus were saying this, If you want to help somebody discern if he really knows God or not, the Father or not, say a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Jew, present me as the Son of God, crucified for sinners as the only hope of the world. What they make of me reveals whether they truly know God or honor God or love God or have God as their Father. 
If they will not have me as Lord and Savior, they do not have God as Father. Now again, Jesus didn't say that in those words, but he did say that. You cannot read the book of John and say Jesus did not say that. He did. It's why they said no one ever spoke like this man. No one. Last week I paraphrased Lewis to you, C.S. Lewis. Let me read the actual quote to you this morning. And what Lewis is coming against is somebody who wants to say that Jesus was a good moral teacher. He was a great man. He just wasn't God. This is how Lewis puts it. I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. And then he says this, and you need to hear this. Everybody needs to hear this. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And he's right. He's right. You cannot read the Gospels. You cannot read the words of Christ in the Gospels and say that he was just a good moral teacher. Lewis would say other places, you only have one of three choices. And I said this last week. He was either a lunatic. In other words, he really thought he was God But he wasn't, and there have been all kinds of people who've thought that through the ages. They thought they were God. They just weren't. They were they were deceived. They were they were lunatics. They were madmen. Or he could be a liar because he said he was God. He said that. He declared that. He put himself equal with God the Father. So if if he's not He's a liar. Or thirdly, he is who he said he was. Now the reason I come back to that this morning is it is so important that, that we understand that. I said to you last week, you do not have to believe what Jesus said. You don't have to. But don't distort what he said. Don't let other people distort what he said. Make sure that if you reject Jesus, you reject what he said. I fear that what happens to many young people as they go out is, is they, they, they hear so often in the world this whole idea of religious pluralism, that all roads lead the same place. You just need to get on a road and be sincere. So they go off to college and... and they just they just have the foundations knocked out from under them. Partly because they think that's 
that's what Christianity teaches as well. Jesus did not teach that. You, you can believe something other than what Jesus taught. You just can't call it Christianity. Christianity does not believe in multiple roads. Jesus made that very, very plain. And so if you're wrestling with that today, I would say to you, look at what he said. Look at him. And make sure that I'm not just telling you said it. I did quote many passages, but there are many more. And then decide. Look at him. Don't listen to what somebody else says about him. Don't listen to what the world's commentary about him is. But look at what he said. Know what he said. And if you're going to accept or reject it, do it on the basis of what was said. Now, whenever he is faithfully presented whether it be back in his day or our day, division occurs. People have to make a choice. It's exactly what happened here. It's exactly in this text what happened. There's, there's two sections. There's a section of the people and then there's a section of, of kind of the religious leaders. In the middle of that, it says no one ever spoke like this man. And he caused a division. If you look at the top part of that, the, the, the part that precedes that, you see there were different opinions about him. Some said he was a prophet. Some said he is the Christ. Others said he can't be the Christ because he comes from Galilee. They they were a mistake. They didn't understand who he was. They didn't understand that he had come from Bethlehem. There There was misunderstanding of who he actually was. And so there were all kinds of different opinions about him. If you go to the the latter half of that, the religious leaders chime in on it. In verse 47, it says, The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is a curse. In other words, they're coming against those who would say he's the Christ. They just don't know enough. They don't know enough, is what they would say. Nicodemus, but he was one of them. Remember Nicodemus? Remember John? Remember the night that he came to Jesus and Jesus said, you must be born again? Nicodemus comes. And it says, who had gone to him before... And who was one of them said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Basically what they said, You're just biased. You're biased because you're from Galilee. And he's from Galilee. Jesus always causes that kind of division. Whenever the proper picture of who Christ is, he said it would happen. Jesus declared himself division would take place. But make sure you have the right picture of who he is. Make sure you see him for who he is. Um, I said last week, and this is, this is why I came back to it, and I'm not going to speak much longer. We're going to come to the table. But I said this statement. I said, if you really see who Jesus is, you really see who he said he was, it does one of two things. You either will hate it and reject it, or you will love it. There's no middle ground in that. And that's exactly the way it is today. If you really see it, now if you get a distorted picture, you might be in the middle. But if you really see him who he is, and who he said he was, you will either hate that message, or you will embrace that message. And as I went away last week, I thought... "Mm." That's 
pretty harsh statement. And I went away thinking, why does that feel so harsh? Part of it's my nature. Part of it, I'm a peacemaker by nature and I don't like divisions. Part of just the way I'm wired. I don't like conflict all that much. But there's more than that. This is, this is why I wanted to come back. This is why I felt it was appropriate that we come back to this text as we come to this table. Is because that's not the end of the story. What Jesus said in the words that he said is not the end of the story. You don't get the whole picture yet. I didn't give the whole picture. I tried to at the end. I tried to tack it on. Even as I stood there, I felt this. And as I closed the service, I tried to tack it on, but I ran out of time. The, the end of the story is this, and, and this is what we must see. That the one who said that, the reason it is not harsh, now it divides, but harsh is the kind of stuff, in my opinion, that's going on in Afghanistan right now. Harsh is the kind of thing that if you don't agree with me, I'll kill you. This issue of the Koran being burned. This is how Christianity is different than all other religions. It is different in one sense. It it does declare absolutism in, in the way. The way to God the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. There's no other way to get there. It does say that. But the difference is what Jesus did after he said it. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet hating the message... What does the scripture say? Christ died for us. He died for us. While we were yet hating that message, how different than what's happening. You see, the, the interesting thing about the Koran and the burning of the Koran, why, why are they so upset about a book? It's because to understand them, you have to understand that their God is distant and far off. And the revelation they have of their God is the Koran. So, so the Koran to them, the Koran to, to, to the, those of Islamic faith, is much like the parallel of Jesus. God coming near. God comes near to them in a book. In Christianity, God comes near to them by himself, he comes. God in the flesh comes to us. But the response is so different when people resist the message. To resist it in Afghanistan today means you could lose your life, and people are losing their life because books were burned. The contrast is Christ. He came. He came. And he gave his life for those who hated his message. All of us at one time hated that message. Inherent within us is a hatred toward that kind of a message. You see the difference? You see what takes the harshness of it up? You see where the glory of God is most seen? One of the things that I I said last week, and we were talking about our, our... our purpose statement is that, that Jesus, 
did magnify himself, but the way he most magnified himself was in the cross, where we see the greatest glory of God is in the face of Christ and the face of Christ as he gives himself for the sin of all those who will take refuge in him. You see the difference? Do you see what Christ has done? My hope this morning, my hope this morning, if that message of Christ seems harsh, that you will go all the way to the cross. That you will see what that God has done. The God who declared that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Which is true. But how he accomplished that even that was possible. And that was by going to the cross. Do you see the glory of Christ? Do you see the beauty of Christ? Do you see the treasure that Christ is today? I pray you do. I pray that it overcomes overcomes the hatred of our hearts. The hatred of our hearts of a message that's so absolute and seems so narrow and seems so harsh by looking at what God did to make it possible. By looking to what He came to do. Do you see it? Do you see the cross? Do you see the God we have? The God who loves us? Express that love in coming to die, to take the wrath of our sin upon Himself. The thing that's amazing about that is that God didn't have to do that. There was nothing in the Trinity God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There was nothing outside of the Trinity that compelled them to do that. But it was their own decision of the Godhead to come. To come to a people who hated that Godhead. Who hated it. At the heart of all of us, at one point we hated it. You see, we either hate it or we love it. And all of us once hated it. If you've come to love it, it's because you once hated it. And the glory of Christ has overcome the hatred. This morning, I just say to you again, Jesus declared that to know God you must know Him. To know the Father, you must take refuge in the Son and all the Son accomplished for us. And no matter how loud the world wants to declare another message, how much resistance we feel to that, that is the message of Christianity, the message of Christ. You can't get around it in the Scriptures. The wonderful thing is that He who lift up the standard None comes to the Father but by me provided a way for us to come to Him. I hope you know that reality today. And if you don't, even as you come this morning to this table, you will truly come seeing the glory of all that it represents to us. Let's pray together. Father, we just pray this morning that you will help us Oh, Lord, help us to see if there's something that rises up in us about the harshness of Jesus' words that that will be overcome as we see the love of our God in Christ and all that Jesus did to make our coming even possible. Lord, I pray today that we will truly see what this table represents 
as a treasure. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers are going to come and help us this morning to distribute the elements. We'd ask that you take the element today, if you're with us for the first time, and hold it, and we'll partake together. This represents to us the body of Christ. I'd ask again that you take it and hold it. Jesus said, as often as you eat, to do this in remembrance of him.
represents the body of Christ that was broken. Represents the fact that our God, unlike what's happening in Afghanistan, didn't retaliate. Didn't retaliate when he was rejected or desecrated. He went to the cross for even that sin. Take and eat. Be grateful.
One more thing I want to say. This time, it's not Lewis that I want to quote. It's Bono of U2. It was after the Madrid bombing in 2004 that Bono was interviewed by a French journalist. And in that interview, Bono when the subject of religion and the bombing came up, turned it to the issues of grace. And Bono, and I quote him, said this to that journalist, it's not our own good works that get us through the gates of heaven. To which the journalist replied, such great hope is wonderful, even though it's close to lunacy in my view. Christ has his rank among the world's great thinkers, but son of God, isn't that far-fetched? To which Bono replies this. No, it's not far-fetched to me. Look, the secular response to the Christ story always goes like this. He was a great prophet. Obviously a very interesting guy. Had a lot to say along the lines of other great prophets, be they Elijah or Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius. 
But actually, Christ doesn't allow you that. He doesn't let you off the hook. Christ says, no, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me a teacher. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm saying I'm the Messiah. I'm saying I am God incarnate. And people say, no, no, please, just be a prophet. A prophet we can take. You are a bit eccentric. We had John the Baptist eating locusts and wild honey. We can handle that. But don't mean the M word because you know we're going to have to crucify you. And he goes, no, no. I know you're expecting me to come back with an army and set you free from these creeps, but actually I am the Messiah. At this point, everyone starts staring at their shoes and says, oh my God, he's going to keep saying this. So what you're left with is either Christ was who he said he was, the Messiah, or a complete nutcase. I mean, we're talking nutcase on the level of Charles Manson. I'm not joking here. The idea that the entire course of civilization over half of the globe could have its fate changed and turned upside down by a nutcase, for me, that's far-fetched. Make sure you get him right. Make sure you understand what Jesus said. Don't let somebody else tell you what he said. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful this morning. We're grateful for your son. We're grateful that not only did he tell us that we had to come through him, but he made a way for us to do just that. And we rest in that. We take refuge in that. That is our hope. If you will, Father, we kiss the Son. We embrace the Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together. Will you stand with me? Thank you.